we are going to look at this definition that the discipleship team came up with, and this was formed uh, over several weeks and uh, a lot of time spent in the Bible. I even gave them homework, so just, you know, be thankful you don't have to be on the discipleship team. But the discipleship team would be Terry, he's a leader of our men's ministry, Matt, leader of our youth ministry, Sally, children's ministry, Cheryl Davis, who is over Team Kids, leader of our women's ministry, Carol Belt, Mona White, who's over our discipleship, Nan Guffey, who's our Sunday school director, Rose, who is our nursery coordinator and um, coordinates all of our children's church, who's going to be doing, who's going to be working and things like that. And so we have been praying through these things and looking at these things. And nothing, I hope that nothing that's said this morning, if, if you have been a member of a church for a while, then I hope that nothing that is said is new to you. Um, if you, it, there's a chance that it might be new to you, even if you've been a member of the church. But it's like, I've read the Bible through many times, and every time I read it, I still run into things where I'm like, how have I missed that all these years? And so this might be one of those things for you. Um, but maybe you're here today for the first time, and you're not even a follower of Jesus yet, and you're wondering what all this is about, what following him is about, what it means to be a disciple, what it means to make disciples, then that's great because that's exactly what we're going to look at this morning. Usually, as you know, when we went through 1 Peter, Jonah, Philippians, usually I go verse by verse uh, through sections of the Bible. But what we're going to do over the next few weeks is to look at what the Bible says about discipleship and following Christ wholeheartedly and some things like that. And so um, with that said, let's look at probably the most famous verse on making disciples, which is the Great Commission. And so in Matthew 28, verses 19 through 20, it says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, which we had just witnessed, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so there's some things that I want us to, to think about here. First of all, when it says go and make disciples of all nations, the word used there is the, is the word that we get the word evangelism from. And so at the beginning in verse 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, is saying go and tell them, proclaim the gospel, tell them about Jesus, share Christ with them. And in doing so, in sharing the gospel, then hopefully people will come to know him. And so that is our job. And we, when we look at making disciples, when we look at um, what that means, the reason that we, there's several reasons why we decided to come up with the definition. One of them is this. When I was a uh, youth minister several years ago, um, the year Rose and I got married, 05, um, maybe the year after, it was, it was 06, when I, we moved to Alabama, and I was a youth minister, and the pastor took me and the music minister and uh, our secretary uh, out in the middle of the woods. He didn't tell us where we were going. He took us out in the middle of the woods, and we get there, and he pulls out guns. And if you know me, uh, I mean, I grew up around guns, but I don't even own a gun, right? And so this is an uh, interesting um, position to be in. And uh, we end up doing target practice out in the woods. And his, the, he had a point to it. His point was is that we as a uh, church, we need to have goals, and we need to know what those goals are uh, because you can't hit your target if you don't know what you're aiming at, if you don't, if you're not, if you don't know where to aim. 
And so uh, one of the reasons that we have been doing this is because studying discipleship and what is a disciple uh, is because we want to know what we need to be aiming for. If We, we want to set goals to help make disciples, and we want to make sure that we know what it even means to make a disciple. And so in the first sense, it means to tell people about Jesus, uh, to evangelize. And so that's one of the things that we want to do. But then in, in another sense, um, after they have come to follow Jesus and after they um, are baptized, then the next step, if uh, I think that's Randy up there at the computer. If you could go to the next slide. Hey, Randy. She had her head behind the screen, so I couldn't see. Um, but it says teaching them. And a lot of times when we talk about discipleship, this is what we default to. We believe it, 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 most American churches, when we say discipleship, this is what we mean. We mean teaching in, in a classroom-type setting. That's what we think of when we think of discipleship, which is definitely part of discipleship and an important part of discipleship. Teaching them to observe. But it's not just about teaching. It's about helping people live out the, the Bible, live out their faith, live out their relationship with Jesus. It's not just about learning what's right. It's about helping people do what's right. It's about walking with one another and teaching them to observe, to obey all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always. We're not doing this by ourselves. Jesus is here with us still uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit leading us to follow him to the end of the age. And so with that said, I want us to look at what the definition is that we came up with as a discipleship team. It says this, disciples are transformed followers of Jesus committed to intentionally investing in the lives and spiritual growth of others. And so what, what I'm going to do for the rest of the sermon is I'm going to show you how we came up with this definition. And this is a very abbreviated uh, presentation of how we came up with this because, again, this was hours and hours over uh, months. And so with that said, what do we mean by disciples or transformed believers uh, or transformed followers of Jesus Christ committed to intentionally investing in the lives and spiritual growth of others. Uh, what we mean is that these are people who are true followers of Jesus, and the following is, is going to be proven through their actions. Uh, they're not saved by their works, but because they're saved, a transformation is going to take place, and it's going to be evident in their lives that they are following Jesus, and one of the evidence of that is the making of more disciples. And so let's look at these things. And we're not going to look at every word in this definition, uh, but we're going to look at some of the key words. Disciples are transformed. And so transformed, what do we mean by transformed? Well, John 3.3 3 says, uh, this is when Nicodemus comes to Jesus, and he is talking about uh, what he must do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, Nicodemus didn't understand what he meant by that. Nicodemus thought that uh, this was, you know, how could a man enter again into his mother's womb and be born uh, is what Nicodemus, how he responded. Uh, but, and Jesus goes on to describe that the rebirth, the spiritual rebirth that has to happen, that is not physical, is not something that can be done um, physically. It, it is a spiritual rebirth. And 
that's why we just baptized Jaylee, because she is confident that she has put her faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that God has done something in her heart where she desires to follow him for the rest of her life, where she has a love for him. And she has begun this journey, and we want to show the evidence that we as a church support her by offering her these baptist- this baptistry, and then she wants to be baptized because this is what Jesus has modeled and told us to do to tell others, hey, we're following Jesus. And I see her family here, a lot of her family, and it's incredible that we get to, as a family, witness what Jaylee just did and the commitment that she has made. And, it, and so she begins, with her baptism, she begins telling others about Jesus and telling others about the decision that she has made to follow him. So when we say transform, we mean someone who has been changed completely. Not that as soon as you get saved, you stop sinning, but there should be, without a doubt, a transformation that has occurred in your life where there was a point when you were not a follower of Jesus, and then there was a point where you were a follower of Jesus. And what do we mean by following? We'll get into that. But uh, that's John 3, 3. And then we also looked at Romans 12, 2. And in Romans 12, 2, it says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so there has to be a transformation. And this word here um, comes from, we say, we have a word called metamorphosis, and that's where we get the, in the Greek, the word that we translate into transform is the root of that and the origin of that. And so when we think of metamorphosis, we think of one of two things. Uh, most of you who are older think of a, a caterpillar that is turning into a butterfly. Is it caterpillars that turn into butterflies? Okay. My mind's not working. I went on vacation, and I've lost it. Uh, but anyway, it, this this transformation that occurs. If you're younger in here, then you might be thinking about the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers who morph into something else also. There is a transformation that takes place. And so when we say disciples are transformed, we are saying that we become something different that the old man has passed away. We become something new. With that, let's look at uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17. And you guys, if you're taking notes, I, we're going to be going through a lot of Scripture. And I want you to know that if you go to our website at mansfieldfbc.com slash disciples, then this sheet uh, right here is available for download. And if you, want, if you just want a copy and you, you don't have the ability to print it, then just let Pam know in the office, and we can print it from the website there. Um, so, Second uh, Corinthians five seventeen, continuing with transformed. Therefore, if anyone anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And so, this is a transformation. Something has changed. Whatever is old is gone. And something new has come, new life. We have been born again. We have been transformed. We are are new followers of Jesus. And so when we say that disciples are transformed followers of Jesus, I want to make it clear that that's what we're talking about when we're saying transformed. Because you can believe that Jesus is God and not be transformed. How do I know this? Well, the Bible, James says that the demons believe and shudder. And so you can know 
that Jesus is God, you can have that head knowledge and not be transformed, not have a relationship with Jesus. You can know that Jesus is God and follow him in a sense where you go to church, you sing songs, you read your Bible, and, and doing that stuff doesn't save you. So it's possible for you to do that stuff and not have a relationship with Jesus and not ha- you have not been transformed. Now, if you have a passion and a desire to do those things, then that's probably a good sign that you have been transformed. Uh, but we, for time's sake, can't make that its own sermon, so we have to keep moving on. So disciples are transformed followers. And so looking at the word followers, we're going to look at a couple of passages here. And some of these I've edited down for, t- for time's sake, um, but we might be able to get through most or all of it. Uh, but just in case, um, transformed followers. Uh, Mark 1, chapters, uh, sorry, chapter 1, verses 16 through 20 says, Passing along the Sea of Galilee, this is Jesus, uh, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Now, this is one of those initial times when Jesus is meeting them and when he's coming, um, drawing them to a committed following. So look, let's look at verse 17. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. So Jesus followed, he said, follow me, but there's not just in the following, there's going to be, there's more responsibility already. From the get-go, it was understood that if they were going to follow him, then he was going to transform them into fishers of men, that they were going to make disciples in the evangelical sense. They were going to evangelize and tell people about Jesus, share the gospel, share the good news. Others would become Christians, and that's what it means when he says, make them followers, fishers of men. And immediately, they left their nets. So they are surrendering things, sacrificing things, and they're following him. And then if we go to verse 19, then we can see that he calls some more. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boats mending the nets. So they were also fishermen. And let's see what happens here in verse 20 uh, with them. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. So they had to leave behind the family business in order to follow him. When we become followers of Jesus, we have to value Jesus above everything else. We have to want him and make a commitment to follow him, and we're going to talk about commitment more in just a moment, but we have to make this commitment to follow him, and there is a cost to it. Now, I'm not saying that we earn our salvation by working or giving things up or anything like that. I'm saying that if Jesus speaks to our heart, if he calls us into following him, and it might not be that we're mending our nets and he literally walks in front of us and calls us to follow him, but we know in our time, in in our day, that Jesus is still in the business of calling people to follow him. And if Jesus calls you to follow him, that does not mean you're saved. You have to follow him. It's There's two parts to it. So while he does all the saving, if that salvation takes place, then there is a response by us in following him. The Bible constantly talks about judging fruit and and making sure that someone is a a genuine follower of Jesus. 
And if you're not following, that's not a good sign. So disciples are transformed followers of Jesus. And this following, I've got one more verse there. Sorry. Let's look at John 12, 26. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Now, I want us to pay attention to a word there. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. So if we claim to be followers of Jesus, if we claim to be Christians, then we must follow him if we truly are saved. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Okay, with that said, let's move to committed. Because we said that disciples are transformed followers of Jesus. Committed to, and we'll get to what they're committed to in a moment, uh, in more depth, but committed. And we can see some examples of commitment in Luke chapter 9, verses 23 through 25. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Or as other translations say, his soul. And so here, at the beginning of that, in verse 23, we see that there is this commitment to following him. That we have to deny ourselves. We have to take up our crosses. And we have to follow him. It's not just following him in the sense of uh, we believe that he is God. You know, when I was a child, I can't remember a time where I did not work. Let me rephrase that so I don't use a double negative here. As a child, as early as I can remember, I always believed that Jesus was the son of God. Uh, even though I wasn't a Christian. Even though I didn't even go to church that often. I, I believed that Jesus was the Son of God. It's just what I was told as a child. It's what I grew up believing. There was never a moment where I had to be convinced that Jesus was the Son of God. But does believing that mean that, and I'm speaking biblically, not culturally, biblically, does that mean that I was a follower of Jesus just because I believed he was the Son of God? No. There had to be salvation. I had to be transformed. And I had, if I was transformed, then there should be a following. I should follow him. And if I was truly transformed and following him, then there should be a level of commitment. Where, as I said earlier, I was willing to make sacrifices. Not in order to be saved, but because I was already saved. And so, um, with that said, let's move on to John chapter 6, verses 66 through 69. And let me give you a little background here. Jesus has fed the 5,000. He has gone out to get some time alone because he knows that John the Baptist, uh, his cousin, has been killed. And um, the crowds are following him on foot. He's on a boat. He's gone. The crowds are following him on foot to wherever he goes. That's where they want to go. And Jesus came ashore, and he had compassion on the crowds. And he begins to tell them... Uh, well, they're hungry that he just fed them so the day before, so they want more food. And he tells them that what he has for them is way better than one more meal. He has the bread of life that they could eat and be satisfied. They never have to eat it again. 
And they were like, hey, where's this bread? We want it. And they don't understand that he's talking about spiritual things and not physical things. And so it says that after this, uh, sorry, let me give one more part. He goes a little further than saying the bread of life. They continually bring it back to physical things. And it, was, it became obvious that what they were into following Jesus for uh, was the miracles, the meals, the stuff. And he says, if you want to come after me, and this is kind of gross for someone who does not like blood at all, but he says, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Now, he was talking about a future thing, right? The Lord's Supper. He's talking about, again, spiritually and metaphorically, um, that they were going to have to suffer. They were going to have to make sacrifices in following him. And these people, they're just thinking about what they can get out of it. And he's saying, you're going to get a lot out of it. We, we get salvation. We get eternal life. We get eternity with God in heaven. Those are good things. Uh, but until then, we are going to have to follow, and there are going to be sacrifices that have to be made. And he explains that in that very colorful way of eating my flesh and drinking my blood. And in verse 66, it says, After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Now, the reason I want us to, if you could go back for just one second, you did a good job going forward because every single other time I wanted you to go forward, and this time, you know, I threw a curveball. But uh, verse 66, notice this word, disciples. Now, the definition that we're giving you is of true, mature disciples of Jesus. But in the New Testament, before the Holy Spirit came, remember people viewed Jesus as a rabbi, as a teacher. And so here, it's saying that his students, basically, his followers, his disciples, in that sense, not that they have a relationship with him, not that they've been saved, but that they're following him in a sense of he's their teacher. And so after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Now, in 1 John, it says that um, they left us because they were never among us. They were never part of us. And so this isn't saying that these people were saved, right? Jesus hasn't even died on the cross yet. He hasn't been resurrected. And, and they were saved, and then they weren't saved anymore. This is saying that they were sitting under his teaching, they were listening to him, they were following him in, in all the senses that I've mentioned already, but don't mean you're saved. That's the sense that they were his followers, his disciples. And so they turn back, and then in verse 67, he starts to look at his, his 12. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? And listen to what Peter says in verse 68 and 69. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Now, this is saving belief, saving faith. This is faith where not only do they believe that he is the Holy One of God, but they are willing to follow. They are committed. They are ready to follow him no matter the cost. They're not walking away when he talks about eating flesh and drinking blood. They're like, we're all in. We have no idea what that means but we trust you, we're in. You have the words of eternal life, we're in. And so as we're talking about these things, as we're talking about being transformed followers of Jesus, committed to, and we'll get there, as we're talking about these things, does this describe you? 
Do you have a relationship with Jesus? Are you, have you been transformed? Have you been born again? Are you saved? However you want to word it. Have you been transformed? And are you following him? Is, was there a moment where you began to follow him? And then is, does your following have some commitment to it? Are you continuing to follow him? The, the Bible talks a lot about the perseverance of the saints and how if you truly have a relationship with Jesus, then you're going to persevere to the end. It doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. It doesn't mean that you're not going to sin. Of course, as Christians, after we become Christians, we're not automatically taken to heaven and given new bodies and made perfect in the fullest sense. It's We begin the journey at salvation. So, of course, we're going to fail. Of course, we're going to make mistakes and we're going to sin and, and we're going to... Um, have moments where we don't do as we should. But commitment means that in those moments, we repent, and we keep going. We keep following Jesus. And so let's continue with the definition. Disciples are transformed followers of Jesus committed to intentionally investing in the lives and spiritual growth of others. And so what does this mean? Well, as we saw in Matthew 28, therefore... Go and make disciples of all nations. Well, he's telling the disciples to go make disciples. This is intentionally investing in the lives and spiritual growth of others. We as disciples and followers of Jesus can't just be worried about ourselves. We have to look at the world around us and we have to have compassion and we have to have commitment in, in investing in the people around us. It's so... Uh, Maybe this sounds like elementary teachings to some of you because you already know this. Well, that's great. That's, I hope it is elementary to you. And so what we need to do is we need to look and see, are we that know this, are we obeying this? And if we are obeying this, if we are transformed followers, committed and intentional in investing in others, if, if we're doing this, then are the people that we're influencing, that we're investing in, are they doing it? Because the buck can't stop with us, and it can't stop with the next generation. Because whenever people stop making disciples, then there will be no more disciples. And so what if he said to the 12, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, and they're like, okay, cool. And they were committed for two weeks, and then that was it. We wouldn't be where we are today. We wouldn't have this sort of uh, mass number of people around the world following Jesus today if the disciples were not faithful to this commission. But this wasn't just for the 12. This was for all of us. We have a commission to not just lead people to Christ, not just to baptize them, but in the next verse, verse 20, to teach them to observe, to live life with them. We, you're going to see in, in just a moment, you're going to see a slide full of more passages that we looked at. And I don't even think we got them all down. I just, this, this is just some that I put down. I tried to get as many as we could. But what I want you to, to understand is that if you truly want to know what a disciple looks like, the best thing to do is to read the New Testament and to look at how Jesus, the standards he held people to. 
the expectations he had for every follower of him. He had expectations for these 12 to go and make disciples of all nations. Now, were those 12 men, were they by themselves going to make disciples of all nations? No. First of all, he's with them even to the end of the age. But secondly, they were going to go make disciples who then joined the cause. And then as they made disciples, they would continue to make disciples. But those new disciples, they would make disciples who made disciples, who made disciples, who made disciples. And so, yes, Jesus preached to the masses. He preached to the 5,000, to the 4,000. He preached to the crowds and to the masses. I mean, we don't even have 4,000 in our town, right? So if everybody showed up and from within the city limits and came to the church and I preached, Jesus still preached to bigger crowds, okay? So he, it's not that he ignored the crowds. He didn't. But in the few times that we have where he preached to the crowds, we have multiple times given where it's apparent that on a daily basis, he lived his life with these men. He poured himself into these 12, and one of them was Judas, right? But he, that just shows you that when you're making disciples and when you're investing in others, uh, you can do all the, everything right that you want. That doesn't mean that they're going to respond the way they should. But he invested in them, and, and it's, it's the principle of multiplication, okay? If, if Sean and I, if we begin to go through this discipleship together, and he begins to just live life with me, and, you know, I teach him how to be a good husband and how not to be the bad husband that I am sometimes, and I teach him how to um, ask forgiveness from your children after you've yelled at them, and, I, you know, I'm teaching him all these things about a, a person who is a follower of Jesus, how they should live their life. I'm teaching him what the Bible says. We're going through life together, and we're becoming disciples. And then... I say to Sean, okay, Sean, you go find a person, and we're both going to continue to invest in each other, but now we're going to invest in the lives of others. And so Sean, he's going to teach Miss Tammy, and I'm going to teach Miss Dixie, because she has a lot to learn, you know, Miss Dixie, um, still. And so we're investing in them. Don't give me that look. Uh, we're investing in them, and then um, there's four of us. So one has went to two, has went to four, and then all four of us invest in four more. Eight, 16, 32, 64, 128, 356, if my math is right, and then you're at what, 712, something like that. That's multiplication. Yeah, I enjoy coming and preaching on Sunday mornings, but this is one part of what it means to follow Jesus. And this is a specific call that God has given me as a pastor to preach his word. Not everyone is called to stand behind a pulpit and preach or teach the word of God to a crowd. But everyone is called to go and make disciples. And if we don't, then the blood of the people that we neglected are on our hands from Ezekiel. If we don't go and tell people what it means to become followers of Jesus, if we don't explain to them that transformed followers of Jesus need to be committed, and they need to be committed to intentionally investing in the lives and spiritual growth of others, if we're not teaching them that, then we're failing 
them. And if I were to ask you how many of you were taught this, I'm sure many of you would say, man, not like this. I didn't know that it was my responsibility just as much as it's the preacher's responsibility, which is true, to go and make disciples. And so I can't do it by myself. But if we have a team of people who are doing it, and then that team becomes a larger group, and there's 20 of us faithfully committed to doing it, and then what if there's 30 or 40? What if there's 50 or 60? I mean, what can God do through 12 who are committed? He can change the world, right? We've seen it. It's been done before because the 12 listened to this. And remember, I say 12, 11, because Judas was gone at this point. And so uh, with that said, let's look at one more verse, 2 Timothy 2.2. 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, this might be my favorite verse in the Bible. I think Revelation 4.11 and this one, but they're, they're both right there. But it says this, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And so what this is saying is, Paul is writing this, Paul poured into Timothy. Should it stop with Timothy? No. Timothy pours into faithful men. Should it stop with those faithful men? No, who will teach others also. We make disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And I will never forget when I was 19, 20 years old, when Jeff Noble called me into his office and he asked me, hey, do you want to go through this discipleship with me? And I said, yeah. And I thought he meant a Bible study, like we were just going to do a Bible study and I, what I didn't know is that I, he would just completely invite me into his life and that I would learn um, not only scripture that he taught me, but I would learn how to observe and obey that scripture. And I would see how he was as a husband. I would see how he was as a minister, as a pastor. I would see how he dealt with the stranger he ran into in Walmart. I would see those things. And this is how Jesus made disciples. If you read the New Testament, if you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John specifically, and you see the time that Jesus spent with his disciples, after he called them, he didn't just say, okay, now you come. When I preach to the crowds, you come and you listen and you get everything you need to know there, and then I'll see you next time. But that's how the American church, that's how we do it a lot. We say, come on Sunday mornings, hear a sermon, And then we'll see you next week. And that is not biblical discipleship. And so, why did we come up with this? Well, first, let me show you this next slide. It's got all these verses on it. Again, you can print that off, uh, mansfieldfpc.com backslash make disciples. But also, if you need a copy, we can get you one in the office. So, um, there's a bunch of verses there. Some of you might know some of those like Acts 1-8 and others that are pretty popular. Um, But that's just some of the ones we've looked at. But anyway, let's continue going to the next slide. Disciples are transformed followers of Jesus committed to intentionally investing in the lives and spiritual growth of others. Is this a perfect definition of discipleship? Probably not. Um, But this is what we felt comfortable as a discipleship team 
coming up with this definition based on Scripture to give us a target to aim at. We want to make disciples like this. Mature followers of Jesus. Transformed followers of Jesus that are committed. And not just committed to Christ, but committed to his call, his mission, committed to intentionally investing in the lives and spiritual growth of others. Now, as a pastor, I cannot make disciples of everybody in our congregation, much less in Mansfield, much less in Sebastian and Scott counties. I can't do that by myself, right? It's up to us mature followers of Jesus, all of us, to carry the burden of the commission that Christ has called us to, which says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. And he is with us always to the end of the age. And so let me talk to you real quick in closing a few things. Why, why did we do this study? Just a reminder we believe that our church and its individual members need to understand and agree upon the biblical expectation that every follower of Jesus is a disciple. Every true follower of Jesus, every transformed, born-again, saved follower of Jesus is a disciple. As a church, we want a biblical starting point to help us determine the effectiveness of our current discipleship structure and how to shape the things to come. How can we do Sunday school better, right? How can we do Wednesday night discipleship better? And remember, discipleship is not just information intake. And so how can we do discipleship by living lives with others and intentionally investing in them? How can we do that better? We don't have the answers for you yet, but we needed to know what we were aiming at so that we can get us there as a church. Number three, as individuals... We want help in understanding our personal responsibilities as a disciple of Jesus. So if there's more to being a disciple than just showing up at church on Sunday morning, then what is it? And we want to know that, and we want to be those people. We want to be who God has called us to be. And we've named many of those things in this sermon as we've walked through this definition of what it means to be a disciple. And so my question to you in closing is, are you a disciple? Have you been transformed? Have you been saved? Have you been born again? If the answer is yes, then are you following him? Not, not just for that first time where he called them to leave their stuff behind, but they're following him in a committed way. Are you following him in a committed way where daily you're taking up your cross? Daily you're you're, you, you're counting the cost of what it means to follow him, and you're obeying. And when you fail in that, you're repenting, and you're getting back up, and you're following him intentionally. And are you intentionally investing in the lives and spiritual growth of others? Because if you have been a Christian for a year, 10 years, 20 years, 40 years, and you're not investing in the lives of others, then something's wrong. Something is, is, is not healthy in your following of Jesus. Because there is never a time in the Bible with 
disciples in this form, not just people who sit under the rabbi, but true transformed followers of Jesus Christ. There are no examples of transformed followers of Jesus Christ not investing in others, not loving God and loving others. Now, there's examples of people failing at times to do it the right way, but they repent and they begin to do it. There are examples of people who aren't followers of Jesus in Scripture, for sure. There are examples of people who hindered the followers of Jesus. There are examples in Scripture of people who killed the followers of Jesus. But if you are a follower of Jesus, then you are called to be a disciple. You are a disciple. And if you are a disciple, you are called to make disciples, who make disciples, who make disciples. And so, your question might be now, how do I do this? Where do I start? Well, that's what we as a discipleship team have been working on and working toward. And over the next weeks, months, at times in, on Sunday morning, you will hear the plans of how we're, we're going to do this. I will tell you that good starting places would be a Sunday school class, would be a Wednesday night discipleship class. Uh, we have things from taking care of your children, your babies in the nursery, to teaching preschool and up about the Bible. And so we encourage you, no matter how young or how old you are, to get involved in one of these opportunities to become like him in these ways, to learn about him, and to build relationships with other followers of Jesus who will love you and encourage you and challenge you. And then next, I will say that um, there are people in our church who have already started making disciples in the way that I mentioned earlier that Jeff taught me, where people invite you into their lives and they will lead you one-on-one and spend time with you or one-on-two or three in a more intimate setting. And so what's important to remember as we close is that um, Jesus didn't try to convert the entire world while he was here on earth. He, He could have tried that, right? So why did he choose to do it the way he did it? And I trust him that he knew what he was doing. And I trust him that disciples making disciples who make disciples is the way to make disciples. It's the way to follow Jesus. And so, how are you learning about him, growing closer to him, following him and obeying him, and doing that in biblical community? How are you doing that? If you don't know what's next or where to start or what you should do next, then come talk to me. Have a conversation with me. You know, have a conversation with Terry or Carol on Wednesday nights, our men's leader or women's leader, or or me, I lead one for young adults or new believers. Um, If you're a teenager, talk to Matt. If you're in Jimmy's Sunday school class, talk to Jimmy. You know, we can give you places to start on what it looks like to follow Jesus more. And ultimately, we hope to have a schedule or structure in place soon that will usher you from the time you become a Christian until you're a full-blown mature disciple who's making disciples and doing whatever God has called you to do. So let's pray and let's close. And we're going to have a time of invitation. And during this invitation, you respond to God. Maybe you've heard this and you've thought, I'm not even a Christian. I need to follow Jesus. You can, you can become a follower of him this morning. You can ask him 
to change you, to transform you right now. Or maybe you are a follower of Jesus, um, but you haven't been committed. And you need that, that transformed following needs to happen and, or has happened and you need to be more committed. Or maybe you haven't been investing in the lives of others. You spend some time with God now. I'll be right down here if you need to talk to me or want me to pray for you about anything. I'm here. Um, and you respond to God in whatever way he's leading. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. And we just pray that during this moment that you would challenge our hearts, that you would convict us, and that you would show us what next. We know, Lord, that we need to follow you in the way that you have called us to. Help us to be the disciples that you have called us to be. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.